thanks for streaming in to Sanctuary, and uh, we're so excited to have Home Church with you today. And if you have a Bible, turn with us to Isaiah chapter 24. We are in a series entitled Jesus Saves, which is the name of Isaiah. And uh, our goal through this is just to apply the book of Isaiah to our life and uh, see what God's promises are for us today. Uh, in our modern context. Let's pray just for a minute. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for every person watching and listening to this, Lord, that we would uh, be ready for all that you're doing, God, that we would see you, Lord, that we would hate sin, God, that we would have a holy life, that we would love you with all of our heart, God, and that you would just prepare us uh, for what's coming in these days, Lord, and that we know we have a blessed hope in you, those whose trust and whose peace is you in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, do you know that the Bible says that God, a loving, compassionate God, will destroy the entire world uh, one day? Uh, Scripture says there's a day coming. It's called that day or the day of the Lord. And why would a loving and compassionate God destroy the world? You know, uh, we're in this season right now of COVID-19, and uh, many even in our own church uh, have been quarantined and are quarantined uh, just because of this virus. Now, what is it about the virus? It's when you're quarantined or when you uh, know someone has the virus, it's like everything they touch can be contaminated. You know, uh, your baby's stuck in your bedroom or you, you know, if somebody coughs on something, it's like, oh, you got to clean that or spray that. It's something about that virus that everything it touches contaminates it. It's got to be sterilized, got to be washed, got to be sprayed with Lysol. We use hand sanitizer. Um, we shut ourselves in our homes to protect ourselves from it. Uh, even there are things sometimes that can be so contaminated, uh, even in the world, by the stains of mud or, or blood or, or something, that it gets just so bad that you've got to throw them away, right? So the same is true often of sin. I think the problem really for most of us, myself included today, is that we just don't see sin uh, in the seriousness that God sees it. That sin contaminates, that it permeates, that it it changes and alters everything it touches. For instance, today, uh, your marriage perhaps. Your marriage is probably not as perfect as it should be because you are a sinner and I am a sinner. Uh, Maybe it's our parenting. Our children are are not as blessed as they should be because we are faulty as parents. That every relationship we touch is contaminated because we have sin. That we are all born into a sin-cursed world. Uh, So everything is contaminated. Even further, think about our physical bodies. Our physical bodies suffer because you and I probably don't treat them the way we ought to treat them. We put things in them we shouldn't. But even more than that, our bodies even themselves decay and eventually die. Why is that? It's because of this virus called sin. It's contaminated everything. And the only way to get rid of it is to purge it, to cleanse it. Uh, Remember what God told Adam in Genesis chapter 4, verse 17? It said that because Adam rebelled against the word of God, here's what God said to Adam. He said, Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you'll eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You'll eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What does that mean? It means that 
this sin not only affected us individually, emotionally, even physically to the point that we decay and die, it actually even affected the earth. That thorns and thistles came up, and the earth even, the Bible says in Romans that even the earth is shaking and, and moaning and waiting for the day that this corruption would leave it and God would reveal His redemptive plan in us, His people, and in a new earth. That's the seriousness of sin. Do you see sin that serious? That it's so everywhere, it's so evil, it's so permeating, it's so changing of the very nature of humanity and even earth itself. Isaiah saw that once he saw the holiness of God. He saw a day coming that God would cleanse all of creation from sin. That sin's corruption would be removed. And on that day, for some it would bring perfect peace. Yet for others, it would be pain and, and punishment. So look with me in Isaiah chapter 24. I'm going to read a little bit, and I think it's important for us to actually read the Word of God. But God's people will have perfect peace, while others will face pain and punishment. Let me give you the background as you're there in Isaiah 24. Isaiah lived in a day when Israel had forgotten God, the divided kingdom, the northern ten tribes of Israel, the southern two tribes of Judah plus Levi. Uh, and in their success, they often turned to the world and other nations. And God uh, prophesied through Isaiah that he would cut them off. Assyria would take away the northern tribes. Babylon would take away the southern tribes. And in Isaiah 13 through 24, just leading up, or 13 through 23, leading up to this chapter, Isaiah sees two things. That one, God is going to judge these nations that often persecuted Israel and Judah, but who also have... Uh, contaminated them. Through their trusting in these nations and fear of these nations, Israel had turned to their own selves and they'd even turned to pagan things to provide their security. Uh, and out the middle of that, Isaiah says, but I see also that God's going to preserve a remnant. He's going to save this holy people, those who would come and trust the Messiah. But in the end of all that, he says, man, well, I see all the nations being judged. That's just a a trial. It's just a beginning. It's just a type. It's just a foreshadow of this great and awesome day. On that day, which is the title of this message, that day, on that day, everything you've seen in Scripture has been reserved for that day. All the things of judgment you've seen with all these other nations from Babylon to Assyria to Egypt, even to Rome later on in the New Testament, all those things are just a foreshadow of what God will do to man's kingdom on that day. Look with me. Isaiah 24 verses 1 through 23. Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, scatters its inhabitants. And the people will be like the priest, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers. The world fades, it withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. The new wine mourns, the vine decays, all the merry-hearted sigh, the gaiety of tambourine ceases, the noise of revelers stop, the gaiety of the harp ceases. They do not drink wine with song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of chaos is broken down. Every house is shut up and none may enter. 
There's an outcry in the streets concerning the wine. All the joy turns to gloom. The gaiety of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city, and the gate is battered to ruins. For thus it will be in the midst of the earth among the peoples. As the shaking of an olive tree, the gleanings when the grape harvest is over. They raise their voices. They shout for joy, though. The cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. Therefore glorify the Lord in the east. The name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear songs. Glory to the righteous one. But I say, woe to me. Woe to me. Alas for me. The treacherous deal treacherously. And the snare they confront you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster, he'll fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit, he'll be caught in the snare. For the windows above are open and the foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth wheels to and fro like a drunkard. It totters like a shack. For its transgression is heavy upon it. And it will fall, never to rise again. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on the earth. They'll be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon. They will be confined in the prison, and after many days they'll be punished. Then the moon will be abased, and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and His glory will be before His elders. So similar to the book of Daniel and Revelation, Isaiah is painting this picture of the earth's future. It's this final end-of-the-world moment. It's that day of last human history that it's that that big day. The day that everybody, uh, nobody wants to talk about, that everybody fears and dreads. And let me give you five real quick things that if we look at Isaiah 24, 25, 26, and 27, and we can kind of look at Daniel and Revelation and some of the things that Jesus says, there's five big things that Isaiah will link to in all of those other texts. And there's also this credibility with Isaiah, that if Isaiah prophesied of all these other nations like Assyria and Babylon and Egypt and Cush and Philistia, all these nations that eventually fell hundreds of years later after he prophesied them. If Isaiah predicted those a hundred years before their time or several hundred years before their time, but he also predicted the end of the world, and what he predicted is the same thing that Daniel saw. It's the same thing that Jeremiah saw. It's the same thing that Joel saw. It's the same thing that Jesus said. It's the same thing that John, hundreds of years later, would see in his book, Revelation. How credible do you think these verses are? Written by various authors over hundreds and hundreds of years, all seeing the same thing. Let me give you five things, not in any specific order, but five things Isaiah would say for us today to be ready for that day. Number one, he sees that a trumpet will sound. Look at Isaiah 26, verse 19, just a couple chapters over. We know that the people of God, he sees that he sees the people of God growing, but at the same time, uh, as they grow, all the nations are coming in. But he sees a great persecution upon them. He knows that they'll live through times of war and famine and plague and, and the earth uh, drawing near to that final day. And tribulation and great persecution come upon them. But God has a plan for them. And look what he says in Verse, chapter 26, verse 19. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You'll, you who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. Your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to departed spirits. He sees a moment of resurrection. And in chapter 27, verse 13, he goes on and says, 
It will come about also in that day that a great trumpet will be blown. And those who are perishing in the land of Assyria and those who are scattered across Egypt will come and worship the Lord in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. He sees the very same thing that Jesus and Paul even talked about in the New Testament, that like lightning in the blink or twinkling of an eye we've been said, Jesus will send forth his angels with this great trumpet. Now trumpets uh, in the uh, in Deuteronomy and in Numbers for Moses and the children of Israel were to call people to alarm, but also to call people to assemble. And Isaiah sees this trumpet calling the people of God to assemble and worship. And at that great trumpet, the New Testament says that the dead will raise. With this shout of an archangel, the dead will raise, they'll be changed to immortality, and they'll be caught together. Those who are dead in Christ will rise from the grave with new bodies, and those who are alive and remain will also be transformed into immortal, and they will meet the Lord in the air, Paul says, to be with Him forever. Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before, sees the very same thing Paul saw. That a great day was coming, and at any moment, any time, God will send for His elect, those who are called in His name. With a great trumpet, they'll join Him. And at that very moment, or even preceding or uh, during that time, we don't know the order, but it says this is the second thing that Isaiah sees. He says that in this day, not only will the elect of God be gathered at the sound of a trumpet, but the world will shake. Watch this. He says, because of the fall of man's pride, because of his lust for pleasure. Look at the permeation of of lust and pride and and jealousy and anger and and material possessions and consumerism. Just look at the news today. Don't you see violence in the street and lawlessness? Even man himself has rejected the very conscience. Whether you believe in the Bible or not, every person has a conscience of morality in them. Every tribe, every nation, go to any village in the world of people who've never even been around other people, ancient Indian tribes have some semblance of morality, of murder is bad, of cheating on someone's spouse is bad, of stealing is bad. There's a code inside all of us, and even us, even having a code inside of us, a moral compass, that sin nature, we know. We know, we recognize, you can deny it all you want, but you know you have a sin nature. We recognize morality. Where else would we get it from? If not something inside of us to say there is some concept of ultimate truth and ultimate evil, good and bad. We have even rejected that. We've rejected our own nature. Because man has lifted himself up against God and worshiped the work of his own hands. Isaiah says, look, it's going to be like a thief of the night, like Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. The whole world is going to be shaken. It's going to affect every level of society. He says that the prince is going to be like the pauper. The buyer is going to be like the seller. Everyone, it doesn't matter what your station is. It's not on that day. It's not going to matter how much money you have or your fame or your reputation. It's not going to matter anything, your title or your position. Every single person on that day will feel the wrath of God come upon the earth. Society itself will completely crumble because of this cosmic disaster. Look what he says in in Isaiah 13, 24, chapter 13 and chapter 24. And he agrees with Joel and Matthew and Revelation and all this together. Here's the commonality of them. Listen to this. He says there's going to be a great earthquake. During that time, the, the world will turn red as if blood. The sun itself will, will uh, cease to uh, exist or it will turn black. The moon will be red as, if the, as was the sky. The earth will begin to wither away because of immense heat says the stars will begin to fall from the sky. The sky will roll up like a scroll. Mountains and islands will even be moved. 
whether that be rising sea levels or, or great shaking. Ultimately, Isaiah says he says that God is going to take the world like a bowl of cereal, turn it upside down, and clean it inside out. The entire thing is going to be shaken to its foundation. He says that all of men's kingdoms are going to crumble. Many will be killed. So much in chapter 13, verse 12, he says, men will be scarcer than even pure gold. Revelation sees that in that first uh, punishment of God, that a third of all things, every part of land, sea, a third of sea, a third of land, a third of everything, will be wiped away, bringing ultimate judgment on the earth. And Isaiah sees one thing most of all. He says that joy will cease to exist. No more singing, no more dancing, no more partying. No more nice Facebook pictures or social media and say, wow, what a great time we're having at the beach. Or, or any, There's just going to be no pleasure in this world because we've forsaken the pleasure of God for the pleasure of self. God will remove all of that. And still yet, man will continue to curse him. Man will establish a kingdom still against God. And he goes on and he says, the number three is this. He says he sees the world being judged. Nobody likes to be judged, but after these cosmic things, says that Jesus will come on the clouds in power and glory, Matthew says. The world will mourn because of him. He'll come as King of kings, as Lord of lords, as the ultimate authority. He says even something not pretty. He says that he'll strike down the nations and even crush them as grapes in a wine press, that the blood will just consume the area, that corpses will pile up in that day, on that day. There'll be a great slaughter of every person who opposes God in their hearts. Why? Why? You say, man, why God? You're such a good God. Why can't, why can't you do it a different way? It's because sin is so devastating. Sin is so permeating that God must deal with sin in this way. He gave the solution through Jesus Christ and those who would take the endote and those who would take the, the antibodies inside of themselves and be purified and purged of sin. Those who would be cleansed, they can escape. But those who reject it, those who continue in the curse of sin, there is no other means. For in the new earth that he's going to bring, there can be no room for even one sin. One cell of the virus of sin will not make it into eternity that God has prepared for his people, lest it multiply and ruin it all over again. So God must completely, utterly destroy and annihilate the virus of sin. Everything must go. And he says on that day, not only will he have a great white throne where Jesus will judge the dead according to their deeds and whether the name was in the book of life. He says in number four, he says, I see Satan will be defeated. Not only this antichrist, anti-God kingdom that man has built, but the spiritual kingdom of Satan. All those wicked spiritual beings will be judged and God is going to purify both the natural and the spiritual world. Isaiah 27.1, look, it says, In that day the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. With his fierce and great mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. Revelation says that Christ is going to take that old serpent, the devil, and he's going to take his false prophet, those who pretend to have religion and seek uh, push people to God in their false signs and wonders. He's going to take every leader who establishes himself as a false messiah, as an antichrist, that ultimate antichrist kingdom and leader, that ultimate false religion and false religious leader, the devil and all of his legions will be cast into the lake of fire to die the eternal death. Everything set up against God will die, leading me to number five, that even death will die. Even death will die. Think about that. 
Just like death swallows up man, God is going to swallow up death. Death itself will die. Men will be, after the judging of the living of the dead, Christ will throw death and hell itself into the lake of fire, Revelation 20 says. But yet for the lover of Christ, the Bible says that death will be swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your sting, Paul said for us. Because our victory is in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ who conquered death. His antibodies, His antivirus, His cleansing property of the Holy Spirit now comes in us. And the Holy Spirit that resurrected Him from the grave, that antibody, that resurrection power, now has come inside of us who believe by faith and repented of our sin, received the Holy Spirit. We have that new Holy Spirit power resurrection power that can conquer the sting and the sin and the consequences of death. Okay, now go on. The last thing is a bonus. He says after all this is completed, number six is this. There are no more old things. No more old things. After the day has happened, he sees on that day all of that happens. Those five things. And now there's a new day. Think about it, a new day. There's that day, then there's a new day. And the new day is this, get this. I Look at Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, and we'll bring it to a close here. It says, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all the peoples on his mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces of marrow, and refined aged wine. The best of the best. Revelation says we're going to have a marriage supper of the Lamb. It doesn't mean we're going to have a physical, literal feast, maybe, but it's really more in a spiritual sense. Think about it, that we take on the body of Christ. We consume him. That for all time and for all, all, forever, for eternity, in that day, we will be partaking of Christ and the many benefits and blessings He has to offer. That eye has not seen, ear has not heard all the things that God has to store for those of us who love Him. Those of us who are called according to His purposes, who have given our life to serve Him, who love Him. We don't even understand all the things that God has for us. As long We're going to be partaking of Christ's blessing in this wedding feast, this this great glorious marriage of Christ where the church is married to her husband, the body, the head, come together. In Isaiah 25, verse 8, he says, And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces and remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Revelation says the same thing. Think about it. John says there's going to be no more tears, no more, no more crying, no more loss, no more death, no more sin, no more cancer, no more, no more shame any longer. For those of us who are confident to approach that day. That even though uh, all the sea has been removed, all the things have been shaken, everything has been turned upside down, we are going to sing songs of redemption from sea to sea, from north to south. The people of God are going to receive the redemption of God. We're going to sing praises. We're going to have the glory of God touch every element. Every, every part of the earth is going to radiate the glory of God. So much so that the moon and the sun and the stars are going to be outshone by the glory of God Himself. We'll not turn to anything because the glory of God is going to be so evident. It's going to be so radiant that you're going to notice the glory of God more than you notice the breeze on your face when you walk outside. You're going to notice the glory of God every single day more than you notice the sun shining on your face. You're going to notice the glory of God more than the moon when you walk outside. That the glory of God... Can you imagine a moment like that in your life where you're going to notice... The glory of those of you who've been in church services before, you've felt God's tangible presence. But His glory is going to be so noticeable, you'll never forget it. You'll not have a moment where you can 
not be in the glory of God? Wow, that's amazing to think about on that new day. In Isaiah 65, 17, he says, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. And God's going to build a new city, a new kingdom, a new place. It's really a people, Jew and Gentile. Every person who's been built into Christ, his church, will be a new kingdom. We'll all be in Christ in this mysterious union that just like God and Jesus in John 17 had this mysterious union of oneness, we're going to be one with Christ. So let me bring it home for you this morning or today or wherever you are listening in your car or watching online. Are you prepared for that day? Think about it. Think about it. Knowing all these things, 2 Peter 3 says, how should you live? There's coming a day. The, the record's straight. Isaiah's been proven true. The Bible's been true, proven true. This is going to come to pass. And if we know that all the elements are going to be melting away with intense heat, that the whole world is going to be shaken, the whole world is going to be judged, that every kingdom of man and the kingdom of evil was going to fall, because God sees sin so seriously. So you can either face that day with fear and dread and terror, or you can face it with perfect peace. Three things I really would like for you to apply and, and pray over today. Is it number one, do you have a hatred for sin? Do you see sin as serious, as permeating, as, as putrid as God sees it? Do you see it as so destructive on everything you touch, everything around you, that even the world itself, nature itself, is permeated by sin, that it must be destroyed and renewed? Do you see that you can be holy and set apart, that that Holy Spirit that gives you the antidote, that provides you the means of escape, that fills you with the same power, that gives you victory over death and sin, that you can live a life set apart, quarantined from sin, that you can, by His power, not by your own works and efforts, but by His power living inside of you, live free of the penalty of sin and death, just by confessing that need, your repentance, to turn from what you've done in your life and the way you think and surrender your life to Him and freely give this free gift, freely receive this free gift of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, can you live in perfect peace? Isaiah would wrap up chapter 26, uh, or chapter 25 with the beginning of chapter 26, verse 3, and he says, The steadfast of mind you'll keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. It's really easy to be shaken by such the things you see in the news, the violence, the rioting, uh, the economic disaster, the virus, the pandemic, uh, the earthquakes, the fires, the locusts, all the things that are happening in the world today, just signs that God's telling, hey, wake up, I'm coming. There's a day coming. All these are just foreshadows of that great and awful day. But you as a believer could have perfect peace. Why? Because if you're fearful today, it's perhaps because you're holding on to things in this world. You're terrified of what economic disaster might bring or what martial law may bring or what violent earthquakes and storms may bring. We want to hoard and store up for those things. And But those who are in Christ have perfect peace. They know their redemption is drawing near. That God's going to rescue the elect. We may suffer persecution. We may go through hardship. We may go through these things. But because our mind is steadfast on Him, 
and what we're going to gain in Christ versus what we'll be losing in this earth. We'll have perfect peace. So would you do that today? Would you pray today you'll have a hatred for sin? That you'll have the Holy Spirit antidote powerfully working in your life? That you'll have perfect peace despite what you see coming on that day? I challenge you to take a moment and pray with someone. Tell them what you've learned and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Talk to your families and friends and worship together if you're having home church with us today. You can always give online at SanctuaryFWC.com. And if you'd like to know more about Jesus and have somebody pray with you, you can go to SanctuaryFWC.com. On our homepage, there's a link there where you can message us and tell us what your decision was to accept Christ today and turn and give your life to Him. Or if you'd like to know more about how to get involved in the ministries of Sanctuary, see us there. Give us a call at 318-992-0793. We love you. We pray God's blessing on you today. I'm going to pray for you that God would do just that. Father, I pray for every person listening and watching to this uh, online today. God, that you would show us how to live in perfect peace. God, that we'd be aware of the day that we live. God, that that day is soon coming. Father, that we would hate the sin and see how permeating it is on all levels of society and even in nature itself. God, that it must be redeemed. God, that you must purify the world. God, that you've provided a way escape through the blood of Jesus Christ and well, that you've given us the antidote of the Holy Spirit so we can live holy and blameless and above reproach. So God, I pray today, Lord, for those who are fearful, those who are anxious about what they see with all the things around the world. God, that they would have that day, Lord, not be a day of dread and terror, but Lord, that it would be a day of perfect peace because their mind is set on you and not in the things of this world. So Lord, forgive us of our sin. Lord, be Lord of our life. Come into our heart, O God. We believe in Jesus Christ, that He's the only way, the truth, and the life, that He gave His life for us, that we might have uh, eternal life, that He died on the cross for our sin, and through His resurrection power, we too have resurrection. Lord, because we trust in You, we give our lives to serve You. We believe Your way is best, O oh God, and not our own way. We reject the way of sin, that it's so evil in its ways, O oh God, that we see beyond, Lord, the fog and the cloud of today's living. And we see a better way through Jesus Christ. And Lord, our minds are set on you. So Lord, help us to hate sin, to live holy, and to have perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen.